We're in Romans chapter 6. Our scripture reading today is verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is the word of the Lord. My plan this morning is to, uh, to be somewhat brief. That's always dangerous to say. Um, I always get in trouble when I tell my wife that as she's leaving to lead children's church. But I, I do plan to be brief so that we'll be able to have a bit more time as we're going to move to the elements this morning. We'll give you those directions in just a moment. We sang that song, right, before Pastor Jason read the scripture reading this morning. And every time I read it, I, I think of what we're in, a true and better Adam, a true and better Adam. That's really what chapter five of Romans is about, telling us about that true and better Adam, that Adam that we can be in, Christ who then becomes our righteousness, who then becomes the reason that we can come to this table. We don't come to this table to obtain righteousness. We come to this table because the Lord is our righteousness. We are righteous in Christ. If you come for any other reason, you're missing it. That's why the invitation says, be careful. Be careful that you don't come and bring more condemnation on yourself. It was on the screen this morning. The, re- the way you do that is to somehow seek to gain righteousness by coming. The only way, the only way we come is by casting the full weight of our hope in the righteousness of another. And then we come and taste and see that the Lord is good. I hope that's the way you will come today. Last time we were together, we summarized chapters one through five a bit. We felt like we needed to do that, and then we took a break for a few weeks. And as we summarized chapters one to five again, we just reminded of the radical nature of grace. There's no other way to state it except to say it is radical. The radical nature of grace that Paul laid out for us. He laid out our need for it, but then he laid it out as the remedy for our need. And it is radical. And whenever you declare the radical grace of God, as we said that day, there is always a danger. There is always a danger that it will be misunderstood. Whenever I preach that way and preach the radical grace of God, there's always a feeling like people will help them to see this, help them to understand the breadth of this. And I think Paul had the same feeling. And one of the evidences that we said last, that particular Sunday is, the evidence that Paul got it right and didn't add to it is the fact they asked the question, Because if he'd added to it, if he'd added to grace, works, they'd have never asked that question. And we made the point, and again, it's important to see it, if if Paul would have been preaching a righteousness that 
we attain by what we do, then it would have been ludicrous for them to say, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Because that would have brought condemnation to them. If, if in fact, they were earning it or, or earning part of it in some way, there's no way they would ask the question, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Shall we go on being unrighteous to produce righteousness by ourselves? That just doesn't make sense. And so Paul was in danger of the question, as all men are in danger of the question, when, when the radical grace of God is declared. And so what I want to do now over the next weeks, with that in mind and where we've been, is I want to, over the next weeks, look at Paul's response to that question in detail. And it'll take several weeks to look at it. Paul has a lengthy response, really, in chapter 6 and chapter 7, is his response to that question. And we will look at that. And obviously, the way he did respond is by no means. No, it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. And so the question is, why did Paul think it was unthinkable? And there are really two things I want to talk about this morning. Again, very brief. Two things I want to say about it this morning in a kind of overview look. And then we will dig into the details of it as we move along. But first of all, what we need to notice is, it goes a little bit with what I've just said, but it's more. Paul does not respond to that question. Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? He, he doesn't answer that by amending his message. He doesn't amend what he's already said when he's talked about this radical grace. Doesn't amend it. Doesn't change it. It's not how he responds. He doesn't say, as one other one has written, you have misunderstood the radical nature of justifying grace. Doesn't say it. He did not say, oh, you misunderstood. I didn't really mean that justification is all of grace and all based on the righteousness of Christ and only obtained by faith without works. I really didn't mean that. He didn't say that. He didn't say what I really meant was that justification is really based on your behavior after all. He did not say justification won't lead to lawlessness because law-keeping is part of what you have to do to get justified. He didn't say any of those things. He did not amend his message. He did not back away from what he had said. It's important to see that. It's important to understand that. It's important to let that sink in. He held to his guns in saying, justification is by grace through faith alone on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. That's what he held to. That's what chapters 1 through 5 are about. Now, I hope we're letting that sink in. I hope we're letting that sink in. Justification is by grace through faith alone on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. That is the only way you will ultimately one day be glorified. On that basis and that basis alone. And in fact, to trust any other basis is dangerous. Is dangerous. 
Now, that's the first thing he didn't do. He didn't amend the message. He didn't respond by amending the message. So how did he respond? How did Paul respond to that question? And the way he responded to that question is what he says in chapter 6 and 7. And what he says in chapter 6 and 7 is that you did not understand and you do not understand union with Christ. What you really don't understand is that Christ is the new and better Adam. That's what you didn't understand. You don't understand that union you have with Christ. You don't understand what I meant when I said things in the latter part of chapter 5. Things like, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You understand that that has to do with union with Christ. And union with Christ is an incredibly important doctrine in Scripture. All that flows from that union we have with Christ. And that's really what verses 12 through the end of chapter 5 are about. And if you've missed some of those things in this time we've been in that's been difficult, I would encourage you to go back to those messages that were on those particular verses to understand what we talked about there. Because Paul is really saying, you, you didn't understand what I just said. And it had to do with union with Christ and what it means to be in union with Christ. Paul said, in summary factor, we have moved from being out of Adam to into Christ, to a new and better Adam, the second Adam, Christ. We have moved out of Adam, being in him, and all that it meant to be in Adam and to sin in Adam, and we have moved to be in Christ and all that it means to be in Christ if we put our faith in him. We have been united to Christ. We have Move from the reign of sin to being under that reign to the reign of grace. And what chapters 6 and 7 are about the reign of grace over us. Certainly a reign of grace in righteousness. And that is speaking about the righteousness that Christ provided for us. The justification that, that he reigns in our life because he provided a perfect righteousness by his perfect obedience, and it begins in justification. It ends, as we've already said, in glorification, in redemption. And if the first has begun, if the reign has begun in justification through righteousness, through his righteousness, we put our faith there, we ultimately will be glorified. That will happen. That is a a given. If the first has begun, the end will happen because grace reigns. There is a reign of grace over our life. It's freed us from the penalty of sin and one day will free us from the very presence of sin. The very presence of sin. That is a guarantee. If you've been freed from the penalty, you will one day enter his presence and be freed from the presence of sin. One of the things we've talked about, I, every time I talk about being freed from the presence of sin, I think... What is it going to be like? 
What is it going to be like to not even have an inclination to sin? We have no idea what that is. Sometimes we give in to our inclinations more often than we ought. That's what we talked about this morning in our prayer time. We need to battle our inclination to, to give in to those inclinations. But we, whether we give in or not, are not free from the inclination to sin. And what will it be like to not even think about it? That's what glory is about. That's what glorification is about. That's what redemption is. Freed from the penalty in justification, freed from the presence in glorification. But again, that's not all it is to be in union with Christ. That's not all that the Bible talks about when it talks about being in union with Christ. But let's talk about that for a minute, just that part. Justification, glorification. Listen to what it says. Listen to what the scripture says. In fact, some 200 times Paul talks like this. Some 200 times he will use the words in Christ. Here's a couple of them that have to do with justification, glorification. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Justification. And if justification has happened, glorification will happen because there's nothing to be held against us. Our guilt is gone. And then another, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, we haven't gotten there yet, but it says there is therefore no condemnation for those who will what? Are in Christ Jesus, who are in Christ, are united to Christ. There is no condemnation to those who are united to Christ and to his righteousness, therefore. So again and again, the scripture talks like that, but it talks about, it talks about a broader sense of that union. And that's what's in the middle. That's what chapters 6 and 7 are going to talk about. Also, by our virtue of our union with Christ, we have been freed not only from the penalty and one day the presence, but from the power of sin. The fact that grace reigns over our lives also provides, I believe, for us in our union with Christ. And the scripture would hold to this, frees us from the very power of of sin. Grace reigns through all of that. And at other times I've said to you, if you were to put the word salvation at the top, really salvation is God's justifying grace, his sanctifying grace, and ultimately his glorifying grace. If he's begun the justifying grace, he will one day glorify us. But in the middle of that, we who have been made perfect forever are being made perfect or being sanctified in the middle of that God's reigning grace reigns over us to help us to be free from the power of sin to know the reality of obtaining grace a reigning grace over the power of sin and to battle it effectively the reason really the reason the bottom line I think Paul is stating in all of that is this, that grace, God's design in grace is to ultimately destroy the effects of sin. That's why it is so ludicrous for someone to say, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? They don't understand the purpose of grace. 
The purpose of grace is to one day fully free us from sin as we're glorified, from the very inclination of sin. And so to say we, we have the righteousness of Christ in the beginning and one day because of that we'll be glorified in the middle, just let everything fly loose and free misunderstands grace. It misunderstands the reign of grace over our lives. And Paul will talk about that. Let me give you a couple of texts just to whet your appetite. We, we won't go any farther. There's just actually three texts I want to close with. Here's the first one. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In Christ Jesus. Again, our union with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that, what that means for the old to pass away and the new to come. We'll talk about what it means to battle sin in our lives in, in ways that we have the power of God to help us to not let it reign over our lives but to live under the reign of grace. And then one final text. You might want to turn there if you have your Bibles. If you don't, you'll, you'll want to listen carefully. But this is an amazing text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Let me share it, and then we're going to come to the table. This is what it says. And because of him, because of God, in other words, it's God's work. It's God's work to do all of this And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, you were in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say this, who who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So it says, because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom, Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our wisdom to to put away foolishness and blindness that takes the blinders off of our eyes to see true wisdom. And that wisdom is in a righteousness that he provides, our need for that righteousness. So he is for us wisdom. He's for us righteousness, which overcomes guilt and condemnation. But he's also sanctification, which overcomes corruption and pollution in a progressive way in our lives as we live out our faith. And then finally, he is our redemption. He will free us one day from the very presence of sin. Every tear will be dried. Every pain and, and futile thing in our lives will be gone. Again, who will it be gone for? For those who are in Christ. In Christ is the promise. And we'll talk about that. We'll look at that as he lays it out in chapters 6 and 7 of Romans. But now, we're going to come to the table. Now we're going to look to Christ. We're going to look to the one who is to come, who is our righteousness, as was prophesied by Jeremiah. The Lord is our righteousness. It's the foundation of our justification. In fact, everything, 
everything that we will talk about over the next weeks is predicated on the fact that your sin is canceled against you. The only sin that you can successfully defeat in your life is a canceled sin, is one that will not be held against you, one for which Christ has died. But if they have been canceled, then we can have a new power to defeat them in our lives. And that's where we're headed over the next weeks. But this morning, the table. This morning, we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is how we're going to do it this morning as we come. We're going to have ushers, an usher that will be in the balcony and two ushers that will be here on the, on the floor for us. And what they are going to do is they're going to dismiss us to come to the tables, which are directly in front of each section that you have, and receive the element and then go back to your um, place that you're seated and just be seated and hold the element there. The elements are put together this way. We have a cup that has the element in it, the uh, bread, and then on top of that is a second cup with the, uh, the juice. And so what we would like you to do is to take both of those cups, pick them both up as you go, and so you will have both elements as you're seated there in your pew, and then we'll give you direction of how we're going to receive those elements after we've all gotten them and are at that stage. The other thing we'd ask of you this morning is that as we, as we dismiss you, and the ushers can kind of help you communicate this too as well if, if this doesn't make sense, but we're going to dismiss you by rows, and we, and we would like as much as possible. If you're not able to, to move, we'll make, um, we'll make room for that. But we would like you to come and at least walk by the table, whether you plan to take the element or not. What that will do is help us not to have to walk in front of people um, in the pews and, and to keep socially distant. So we just ask that you, your whole row would come. If you choose this morning not to take the element, you certainly don't have to take it, but at least make that circle back into your pew. So hopefully that makes sense to us this morning and uh, we will be able to all have the elements and then we'll receive the elements together. Again, the invitation is on the screen this morning. Normally we'd have that printed in your bulletin but it's on the screen, and we take that invitation seriously. Um, we, we invite you to come if you're resting in the righteousness of Christ, if you put the full weight of your hope in Christ this morning, we would say, come, taste, and see the goodness of the Lord this morning as we celebrate together. But if you're not there yet, we understand that, and we would encourage you not to partake of the element this morning. Um, and, and also, sometimes we have people visiting with us who are here at times in our services who, who maybe have a different way in which communion is served in your own fellowship. We understand if you're not comfortable with the actual mechanics of how it's done, we would understand if you wanted to let the elements go by. But we have open communion. You don't have to be a member of our fellowship to partake. You merely need to live under the invitation, or we ask you to live under the invitation that we present to you this morning. Let's pray together, then we're going to receive the elements. Father, we're thankful this morning for your goodness. We're thankful this morning for um, the fact that we can know the reality of living under the reign of grace. That reign that begins 
with a righteousness from God that is by faith. And Lord, this morning we declare to you that it is in that alone that we find our hope, in what Christ has done in his perfect obedience for us. We rest in that. And we declare that it is enough because you have said it is enough. You declared it is finished and you sat down, your son sat down at the right hand of the Father as a declaration that it was finished. So Lord, we thank you this morning that we can come, that we can participate. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for those who are going to help us to come.
listen to what Paul writes. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us do it in remembrance that the Lord is our righteousness. Take and eat together. After supper, Scripture says, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, in remembrance that the Lord is our righteousness. Take and drink. team's going to lead us in another song as we close this morning. Before the cross I kneel and see the measure of my sin How you became a curse for me Though you were innocent of your great love was shown in full degree when righteous blood the crimson spell rained down from Calvary oh the precious blood that flowed from mercy side
speaks for me before your throne, where I stand justified. It speaks for me. It speaks for me before your throne, where I stand justified. May we? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. The Lord is our righteousness. And we pray, Father, as we continue to walk through Paul's book together, that you will help us to discern more and more of what it means to be in union with Christ, what it means to be in Christ. Help us, Lord, and we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's peace.